If you're seeking a solution to your substance use problems that doesn't label you for life or make you go to daily meetings with strangers and instead shows you how you can solve your problem and create the life you truly want, then you've come to the right place. The Freedom Model is for you. The Freedom Model program options allow you to continue to live your life, learn the Freedom Model on your schedule, and implement what you're learning immediately in your daily life. The The Freedom Model online program consists of more than 20 hours of video lessons taught by Mark and me. There are two to three lessons per chapter to guide you through the Freedom Model text. We have also included our lessons, the mind and the brain, the binge construct, and life movements. You'll get digital copies of our book, our workbook, additional lessons and their worksheets, and our audiobook. Included with the online program is the Freedom Model for the Family online program and books. New Freedom Model quick lessons posted weekly, the Freedom Model monthly newsletter, the 12-step deprogramming seminar series, and a monthly two-hour members-only live question and answer webinar with Mark and me. To enroll in the Freedom Model online program, go to online.thefreedommodel.org or click on the link. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. And in our series, we have a whole listing of topics that were sent in by listeners through our uh, private Facebook group, the Freedom Model Group. So if you there's a topic you want us to talk about, post it right there in the, the private group, or you can private message us um, right through Facebook or through Instagram or TikTok or you know, wherever you find us. So, um, or you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. So what we're going to talk about today are, now everybody talks about long-term side effects of heavy substance use, right? But what nobody talks about is long-term side effects of being in recovery, of being in AA recovery specifically, because that's pretty much where that whole started. Yeah. I I think that, um, so we're going to talk about, uh, while you're in it and then, um, what happens when you get out or if you stay in it for the rest of your life. Yes. Right. There's long-term effects of that as well out just it, it, it's like it radiates like ripples in a, in a pool, in a pond. Um, everything is affected by your, uh, belief system. Yeah. Your membership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe what we can talk about, with this is our personal experiences and the things that we struggled with as we left. And I know for me, one of the longest side effects, one of the things that I struggled with the longest after we left, because we left, we were about, we were kind of in the process of leaving the last few years we were in it. But then once we left, um, I, I think the, the, 
and I've said this before, it was that idea that I was inherently bad. It was that idea that if I got mad or if I got angry with somebody, that the problem was me. And so what it did for me was I had zero boundaries, right? I thought I had to, I thought that service didn't count unless it was painful. God, that's such a horrible thing. Yeah, I was. Yeah. 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 The idea that your, your happiness or your ticket to heaven, so to speak, is is predicated on how much misery and how much of a cross you bear. Yes. I, I think fundamentally, if you take somebody that is a fundamentalist Catholic, which we were, right? Yes. And then you place them in AA, mm. it takes something that is the dark side of Catholicism, which is inherent guilt that humans are broken to begin with, with yep, original, the original sin. sin. And then now I don't want to get into the religiosity of all that because I'm not, I certainly am not going to go against the Catholic church because I'm still a Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I certainly don't adhere to a lot of the darker side of it. Me too. And, uh, but with AA, it was on steroids. It was like so intensely rough, man. I mean, you, you really felt horrible all the time unless you were serving till it hurt so it played into that it played yeah. into your guilt and um that you're not enough for god and you all all human beings already have a certain feeling of why doesn't god make himself known to me right and then in aa it really gets into the weird world it sure does because you're i can remember asking the question about the third step and I don't know what that means, turning my will and my life over to the care of God. I, I'm not, am I supposed to sit on a chair and wait to be told what to do? Am I, am I supposed to have this continuous conscious contact with him, which and, is and, not something I ever could do? Right. And, and I was just going to say, and if you don't get the conscious contact, conscious contact, right? Yeah. Like we're going to conscious. That means that we, we actually are having a conversation like we're having a conversation with a person, conscious contact. Um, I've never, I, except for maybe two brief moments in my life where I had these, these little experiences in my life. I've never had conscious contact with Me God. Neither. Me neither. I, I, I don't, I, and I don't know really many people that have. No, me neither. I mean, I know people that have said they have. That they, but then I look at their lives and I'm like, mm, maybe that's not true. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. like there were gurus in AA that talked about their white light experiences. And, and I definitely thought there was something wrong with me because, because I didn't. Cause you couldn't have it. I couldn't have it. And I'm, I'm yeah. like, and that's when a lot of it started to break down, but not, in, it didn't break down enough. Cause even after I left, I, you know, I was constantly feeling as if I wasn't enough, as if the, that I, people couldn't possibly like normies couldn't possibly like me. Um, I wasn't, I didn't even think most of the people in AA liked me. Um, and, and, and I literally became a doormat. You, he knows that, he knows that about me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't allowed to have nor the normal range of human emotions and I did tamp them down pretty good. Like I almost never, I was somebody that used to have horrible, horrible temper. I got rid of that. Now that's pretty much still gone, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I, I, 
but back then I would squash it and until I'd, I'd go months and months and then I'd just blow up and make a mess of everything. And then, then it really was my fault. You know what I mean? Then I would be like, right. Oh, it's, it would it's, reinforce it's vicious, it. It's a vicious circle. Yeah. It would reinforce. See, you're a terrible person. Yeah, you do not feel anger, guilt and pain. And this weird standard that AA projects that the goal is conscious contact or else you are spiritually unfit. Yes. And that is, is such a horrible. And then they say condescending things like, well, it's spiritual progress, not perfection. Oh, yes. you know, and you know, and meanwhile, they're saying, but we're trying, if you don't do this, you're going to jails, institutions and death, That's you know, right. it's always hanging over your head. And you know, that fear mongering is, is horrible. You know, what's weird is the whole God question for me, I've come to terms in my life, probably in the last couple of months, I've come full circle and I'm really, really comfortable with my relationship with God. And it has zero to do with AA or anything AA taught me. That was the most bastardized, horrible view of God because it had nothing really to do with God. It had to do with control. Yes. And it couldn't be less godlike. It had to do with an a dogma that Bill Wilson came up with. He supposedly, and here's where the, the root of all of this is Bill Wilson supposedly had this massive religious conversion in one night. Right. I believe he had it. I believe. Sure. Well, he was I, on, he was on medication because he was in withdrawal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe he had some sort of spiritual experience. I, 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 I tend to take the man at his word, but I think that it set a horrible precedent that he felt that that was the only way he could have gotten sober, which may have been true for him. Right. But it, it set a horrible precedent that he then had to make it so that that was the standard for everybody. Right. So now you have legions of people, millions striving for something that one guy was given. Yeah. And all I know is that each human being is autonomous, has their own experiences, has their own thoughts, has their own relationship with God or not. And and to try and make your relationship with God based on a recipe that one guy had is, is lunacy. It's, it sets up a scenario that nobody can ever win no. in that scenario, which is why so many people commit suicide in AA. When you start to ask the God question and you fill it with real fear and guilt and that you're spiritually unfit and you'll never get this and you have to serve till it hurts. And yet still you crave alcohol and there's, it, it's so horrible what you're setting up for people. Well, and what it does is I, I can remember you actually said to me at one point, you said, you know, God doesn't care whether you drink or not. You, yeah. you said that. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, isn't that the whole basis of this? And, and no, he was right. He was he was absolutely right. But it kind of opened my mind to the possibility that everything that I was learning wasn't true. And I didn't start to believe that it was harmful until a few years after I left. 
Like I remember yeah. I, I was one of those people yeah. that struggled horribly, not with the idea of whether or not to drink heavily. I was done with that. Right. That's the irony. Yeah. I just was, walked away. I could have just moved on with my life. <sighs> I, I like most people at the age range that I was at, um, I probably was done and was ready to just grow up. You know, I was 22 years old. I was ready to grow up. Um, different people get to that at different times in their lives, but I got to it then. And, and so, so it was never a question of whether I was going to drink heavily or not, but I had that fear. Like that was the other long, when I first left the meetings and my husband had already stopped going to meetings. Right. And, and when I first left the meetings, I remember thinking, you know, having that, that little, little thing in the back of my mind going, I wonder if we're going to, we're going to both relapse. No, even though I, I didn't fully buy in, there was that fear that was whispering in the back of my mind for a long time. I felt guilty for staying home and being with my husband. I felt guilty for staying home and taking care of my baby, you know, and like, like somehow, some way, I don't, I guess the ticket to heaven thing is part of it. The ticket to the promises, like, oh, oh my life yeah. is going to go to shit because I'm not going to these meetings anymore. Um, so I don't think, I, I don't think I was as worried about drinking as I was worried about, I don't know, retribution that, you know, God's retribution that I wasn't doing these things anymore. Yeah. They had created a false, a false identity of God that there's this, this force out there. Well, let's let's back up for a second because we're going to talk about some concepts of God here that are going to might make some people uncomfortable. Like I, we we really have free will because horrible shit happens in the world. Yeah, it does. Horrible, it totally does. Horrible Genocide shit. is always happening. Yeah, it's 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 so sad and tragic and awful. Uh, but the dark side of humans is allowed to happen, mm -hmm. and I I don't. So I don't think that God is is that involved in manipulating people's lives and habits and thoughts. I really think we have free will because it's self-evident that yes. we do. We can, we can hurt people. We can kill them. We can do really nasty things. That happens all, all the time. So this weird bullshit idea that God is going to come down and care if I have a sip of beer and make my meeting is fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's so I'm just going to say Or that he's going to make you make you drink. You know, or or like that he you you know because oh if God relieved me of my compulsion, right? Well then he can give it back. Right. And and so it, that's weird. Yeah, your misery can be refunded. Yes. You know, that's such a fucking rude thing to say. Um, I, I just, so do, but people may assume that based on my, my comments that I'm not a believer in God or a benevolent force in the universe or I, no, I, I've experienced love too. Mm -hmm. The flip side of some scumbag like Hitler is there are a lot of people in the world that are on the other side of the ledger, the mother Teresa's of the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just the common dude, my, my, my father-in-law oh, is the yes. epitome of a Christian. He is literally, I told him this, he's, he's the best Christian I personally know because he always errs on the side of, Oh, I'd, I'd really like to serve you and be nice. And he really enjoys it. He doesn't do it because of church. 
The dude doesn't even he go doesn't to church. He doesn't expect a thing for it. Yeah, he's just nice. He's just you know? really kind and really derives pleasure from serving people. Yeah. So I've, for me, for me, I've found God in those little cracks in the world where you you love and you're kind. And I think that that could be found. We have all kinds of stories like that, even in the Holocaust, where people were in these horrific situations still caring about one another, yes. you know? So, so I just make it very simple. And that is, I like to be happy. I, I like to serve, but I don't make it a job. I don't make it that I have to do it till it hurts, that I have to sacrifice and, and hate myself and flog myself. That's the AA version. That's sick. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't personally, I don't think God requires that. Now I know we're talking about things that are belief based, but I'm just telling you, this is me. Yeah. You know? the, right. Like Religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs are incredibly personal to yeah, each individual, totally. which is, and the other thing is they don't have anything to do with whether or not you drink, use drugs that's, that's it. or any other behavior that you have deemed to be problematic for you. Now, now let's say, let's say that you're a really religious person. Here's what I'll say about that. Let's say that you're a religious person. And I was, even when I was drinking, I would pray every day. And I, I did have this constant dialogue uh, and struggle within me that I was a bad person. And, and I was asking Guilt God, and, mm. yeah, yeah. And I was asking God to make it all go away. And what was I supposed to do? And what is your will? And who am I? I had all those questions right up till I was almost committing suicide, you know, because I wouldn't get the answers. And then, and then somewhere in my life, probably around age 24, I kind of figured it out. And that was your dad helped me. He's like, just dude, just be happy, go to work, kind of be productive, make some money, you know, keep, keep this shit fucking simple. Dude. Yeah. Right. You know? and, right. and it, it's really, Don't overcomplicate uh, yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, you're born into this world and we got to feed ourselves. And you know, you're, you're thinking a little too deep. Now I've always been a deep thinker, but, but that's the shit that AA, AA created for me since I was a little boy, along with some fundamentalist Catholics and some, so a really bad situation yes. that, that I was just a flawed, broken, shitty person, you know, and, and I had a lot of work to do if I was going to be redeemed. And uh, boy, you'd add some alcohol to that and some drugs and some bad beliefs. And boy, <laughs> you're you're going to be an unhappy critter. Yeah, you know? that's so true. One of the other things I was thinking about when you were talking is, um, you know, this idea that you have to have this support network, this support system continuously. And I can remember when, when I was leaving, when we were leaving AA, I, I, there was a period of a couple of years where I wasn't around Mark and I had kind of taken some time off. We actually had a falling out and we weren't speaking. And so it was kind of my husband and I were like an island. And, and so there was this idea, and I guess we cover it a lot in chapter 12, this leaving the cage, right? You're leaving the cage of recovery because if you feel like you can't leave the meetings, then make no mistake, that is a prison for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I, when I really genuinely stopped going to the meetings and I stopped serving others the AA way, um, I felt like a fish out of water. I, I, because I had been doing it for almost 10 years, I felt like, like taking time for myself was not 
acceptable and was going to lead to bad things in my life. Mm -hmm. And when I say taking time for myself, what I'm talking about is at that point, I had two children. You were living life. I was living my life. I had a career I had started. I had, I was a mom. Um, You know, I, I had a couple friends. I, you know, I was just moving on with my life and I felt bad about it. Like I remember feeling like something was missing, feeling like bad things were going to happen. I continuously waited for the bad. And you know what happens when you do that? Bad shit happens. Yeah. You create it. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to something. So I was probably Mark, it was probably a couple years into it. My son was two years old and you want to know something bad did happen. Like really fucking bad. Um, and my husband had a seizure at work and, um, and the person that they, there was no, I didn't have a cell phone cause it was 2001, oh, yeah. you know, it was, it was yeah. like eight, uh, February or March, 2001. And, um, and they ended up get, somehow got in touch with my father who came and got me and my son at the time was two years old and we went to. My father's bringing me to the hospital and he said to me, um, well, I have to let you know that CPR was in progress. And, you know, I'd been on a rescue squad, so I knew that most people don't survive, 90% people don't survive CPR. So right then in an instant, I literally, the thought that came into my head was, this is the bad shit. This is happening because of, because of the choices I'm making. Like, this is my punishment. Like, I started thinking that way. Now, thankfully, I squashed it. And I was like, no, this is, this is real life. This is happening. It was always a possibility. That's Uh, good. That's good that you did that. I did. I did because I'd been away long enough to where I thought this has nothing to do with that. Like this is like, that's superstitious weirdness. But the fact that that would even come into your mind. Yeah. Oh, that was the first thing that came into my own because I had been waiting for something bad to happen. Right. Like I, that's a cult. That's that's a cult. And he and I had had some problems, right? So, you know, you got two little kids and he's working a lot. And I, I was working from home and stay at home mom. I was a legal assistant. I mean, it was money was stressful. Things were like, it was just normal stress of life. So we weren't doing very well. So that part of that was, oh, because we got together when we were now we'd already been together like 10 years. And I was like, it's because we got together and we, when we were, I was newly sober. Like, <laughs> like you think yeah. shit like that. It yeah. is, it's yeah. not real. It's normal life stuff. It, it's such everything you're describing is the results of a deep cult. Yes. Yes. It, it of really being is. raised in it. And then, yeah. and then becoming truly an integral part of it indoctrinated and even though and i want you all to keep in mind even though when i first went to aa mark and i both got the message well you didn't at first when you met my dad we got the message that we weren't powerless and we there was nothing wrong with us Mm -hmm. we still we still took on all of that because you can't sit there in meetings day after day after day hearing them read how it works you know, uh, talking yeah. to the people, hearing everybody's stories, the, you, the same stuff. This is how a cult works. You hear the same stuff every day. It's repeated endlessly. Every day. Every it's repeated, day. It's repeated endlessly. You can't help but become believe a believer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so for me, these are like huge long-term effects. And that's the, the number one thing I say to people is 
you know, when someone calls and they tell me what's going on in their life and these problems, and I'm like, you realize that these are normal problems everybody has. You don't have them because you once liked getting high and drunk. That's not why you have these problems. These are normal life problems that everybody has. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's important to know. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, everything you described, I went through just in the male version and maybe a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was because I was so intensely involved in uh, changing AA. I was, I was desperately desiring my goal was to change AA within the, the cult itself. And it's fruitless. You can't do that. But yeah. that was the 10 year lesson for me was no matter how much you tell the truth, no matter how much research you have, no matter how, how um, hard you work. And I, I don't know anybody that worked harder than me. <laughs> I don't either. At, at that goal. <laughs> um, I was hitting a brick wall and getting beat down. We want to send you a free copy of our revolutionary book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. To help us bring this incredible gift to you, we ask that you pay a small fee for shipping. Learn how tens of thousands of people have permanently solved their addictions without steps or meetings and make 2023 your best year yet. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of total freedom from addiction. Click on the link to get your free copy sent to you today. Um, and so for me, I think when I finally left in 2000, 2001, whenever that was, it's all yeah, hazy it was, now. It was, yeah, it was right around the time that, well, we hooked up again because, because you came to the hospital. Oh, right, right, right. So my husband did survive. He did survive and, um, they, they brought him back. And when I got to the hospital, um, Mark was there. Yeah. That is what brought us back together mm-hmm. as, as friends. Yeah, that's right. And, and as coworkers. So, um, yeah, w- when I finally, when I finally left, I left it, I think for Michelle, it was, there was a lot more, um, long-term residual stuff. I think for females also, yeah. I'm not saying that guys don't go through it, but I think for females, the guilt aspect is so just deep. Right. Because you know? we're not, because, because if we do anything for ourselves, we're selfish. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, we're it's we're a, supposed to be caretaking everyone. That's right. And I think for a guy, maybe we're a little bit more hormonally logical mm. and we look at it and go, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and, and I got to get out of here. And I'm not saying everybody goes through that. I know men who have been really deeply harmed like I was, but, and it, the residual effects go on for decades in some cases. Um, but I was, I had, driven myself right Boy, deep into the heart of the cult and faced that demon and was like, fuck you. I'm going to change this from within it. And I'm going to fight like I fought my whole life against my brothers and everybody, you know, my whole life was a fight. So I was so used to it and I couldn't win. I couldn't no. even win by attrition. I, I said, I'm going to put in until it's done. And you know what? The cult didn't care. They were like, no, Mr. Sharon, we're going to beat you down with sheer numbers, sheer repetition, and eventually you're going to buckle. Well, I didn't buckle. I left. I I, I, I hit the wall 40,000 times, and then I said, you know what? They don't want to change. They don't want to change, and I, my arrogance is beaten. I'm done. And boy, I, I turned away and I said, I'm going to build a better model. And that's when I made this. And you, <laughs> you know, know let we me, made this. Yeah. We, but let me, let me say something about that, about those, 
those first 10, 12 years or so. That's 12 years. Um, the reason that that Mark can get take the the jabs on social media now is because he took them in real life, like like with the people that he would take into the retreat. It wasn't just the people in the meetings, but but a lot of the people that he would take we he would take into the retreat. I volunteered, but he lived there. He lived there with these people, and for and twelve years, for twelve years, and some of them were AA zealots who were relapsing continuously, right? But they're still telling him he's wrong yeah. when he's running a house that is housing them and he's trying to help them. Yeah, I took a beating. So he really did take a beating. So while we were all in AA, man, we got, I mean, the stuff that you that some of the people on social media say is nothing compared to what what we've both been through, but specifically he's been through. Yeah. I mean, it was lawsuits. It was police. police. It was, yeah. Police without warrants coming in my house and that were AA people and really horrible, horrible I mean, if you shit. Don't think, if they, look at, we've, we, we try to tone down the cult talk because I know I, I hate offending people that are, that are open to our model, but this shit really happened. Okay. This is the shit of cults. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's what it is, is most people never. You don't poke <laughs> the bear. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to get scratched. Yeah. And most people didn't do what I did. No. You know, I, I was, I didn't care. I, I was fearless. And, but let me tell you something that happens. So I say that I walked away, but I, when, when I left the first retreat and we had two other retreats, I couldn't even go into that town without having panic. Mm. When I finally left. Yeah, I took over had, the retreats. I had to have her take it over. I couldn't public speak for 10 years. I I was so beaten yeah. by the abuse of these people in, in my research. You know, I was I was going into the belly of the beast and then saying the beast was wrong. And that's a boy, you want to, you want to create mm -hmm. a fight. You want to create misery. And I know other people that have done this now, but they didn't do it for as long as I did. They certainly didn't put their life on hold. They certainly didn't live with their guests. They didn't. They Nobody didn't. has that kind of stamina <laughs> or, or like, or stupidity. Or, maybe. <laughs> Nobody wants to be abused that long. Although we do know that there are people that stay in abusive marriages for a very long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah this was my, this was my this abusive, was abusive marriage, marriage. <laughs> but was. I'll tell you. So it took me. Oh, after that, let me think. A long time, probably 15 years to, yeah. I, I didn't even realize how well this that, pulled you out. Yeah, it did. Like it did. It did. Well, and, it, and getting Steven, yes. I got to give Steve some serious credit right now. I wrote all my ideas down endlessly over thousands of pages and Michelle worked with me in many editions of the book but I never was able to articulate all of what I had right. experienced. So I would give, so Steven came on board and I said, Steve, you, you've been with us. He was at the retreat for a while. He was at the retreat and in at, 2002 when I was the director. So Actually, he volunteered for me um, when I was the director. He was, he was a volunteer. So he'd gotten there a little before, like about a year before that. And so he was there 
probably the best period of where we left AA. Yes. So he, he, was. he had a good experience and look at everybody had a good, I made sure everybody had a good experience. I just was willing to take the beatings, you know, to make that happen for people. And, uh, and in some cases I was dead wrong. I was trying to be a guru at the same time. It was so fucked up. I was so fucked up. And, and so Stephen comes along and he's this, and he developed into this amazing author and researcher. And he, he started his page, the clean, yes. the clean slate.org, which is so still up. incredibly objective. Yeah. He, he really, and he's, he's a, a true researcher, a good technical writer. And I am a shitty technical writer. So I didn't have the capacity or the skill set. I had the experience and the big ideas. I understood now I was able, once I got out for 10 years, I was like, I could look back and go, holy shit, there's value there, 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 yeah. there. And, and then Steve came along and I said, can you help me write this? I didn't realize that how good Steve was with taking my ideas and his and, and hers. His. Yes. And, and then articulating it into this piece. Yes. Uh, so he wrote a lot of it, probably I'd say 80% of it is his actual typing. Um, but it was a total collaboration. It was. It took all this pain that I had and made value out of it. And all the stuff I had learned that you can't learn unless you're in the cult and you escape it. That's exactly right. You, you, you can't understand it. So the so one of the long-term side effects of leaving the cult was this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and really figuring out, and I think, it, one of the things I want to say about writing this was, and I think I've told this story before, but, but we had, this would have been the 14th edition of our book. And cause we had a book, yeah. we had a, 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 you know, the, 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 the St. Jude program, the Jude Thaddeus program. It had different names, names over the years. Yeah, cause it was constantly evolving. Yes. And, and when they brought me the original 14th edition of the book, um, I sent it back because you know, they were building on something that, that really wasn't quite right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was still the best stuff out there, Yeah. but, but it wasn't. And I, and that's when, and they had been writing that two years. So we were already behind the eight ball. Yeah. We already needed to come out with a new edition. And I, I they, they decided they made this decision, which is the best decision that we ever made to throw it out, throw out the, the 14th edition entirely and start new. Yeah. And, and so when they started sending me chapters all of this time, you know, there was always the kind of this thing in the back of my mind that was like, why can't we articulate how we changed? Why can't we articulate how people change? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it was, it was so fucking simple. It was. <laughs> You're I, like, and, and that's I the thing. It's so overcomplicated. It. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, when they sent me the first 10 chapters and I started reading, I'm like, this is it. Like, like the collaboration between Steven and Mark, I'm like, this is it. This is exactly yeah. how people change. Yeah. And, 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 and looking at those NISARC studies and seeing that nearly everybody changes, like literally, um, more than 90% of the people change and with drugs specifically, it's more than whether 95%. they're treated or not, whether they're, yeah. whether they go to AA or not. Yeah. It was, yeah. Looking at that, that, that was like the missing piece of the, like, and the, the, uh, positive drive principle. It was like, oh, people 
get addicted to this stuff because they like it and they think it's doing certain things for them and they build a habit which becomes comfortable and like all of these things it's it's like it's super easy that, yeah that were staring us in the face the great challenge was articulating that the current model at that time was dead wrong and so, and stopping people yeah, like keeping yes. people from yes. solving the problem yeah. fully. And and so I was the expert in that. Yes. Steve was the expert in all the research that backed up my my big ideas. That was it. That and was, so it, was it. And so it was like this wild Steve was great at challenging me and I allowed him to because I was really opinionated and I can be really hard to work with and I'm always ready for a fight so conversations <laughs> don't always go well but I Steve remember. was so fucking kind he was and patient <laughs> he was <laughs> he was so patient with me and I could admit to Steve how much pain I was in at the time yeah. and how I needed to hide away for a little while and just get my thoughts out there. It was just such an amazing collaboration. I'm telling you, when you read the book, yes. just know what went into this was wicked blood, sweat, and tears, man. I mean, yes. it, was, it didn't come out as just some sort of fucking whimsical, you know, research book. You no, know? It's not, no academic. not at all. It really is. It really is almost it's, this is the process by which we solved our substance use problem, left the cage of recovery, um, and, and now happily, we're happily normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like life always is, what I wanted. Life is good. I, I'm, it's really important for the listeners to know that you, somebody said on TikTok the other day, well, you know, why would you stop somebody from going through the same process you went through? <laughs> You know, because it it obviously you created the freedom model out of that. And I understand what he's saying. I do I, too, but I, I understand. But I'll tell you why. Because I would never want somebody to go through the utter horror and pain of being in a deep seated cult and and clawing your way out of it. And clawing your way out. And I there was suicide attempts in there. There was drinking. There was all this horrible shit that was going on. And then and then there was 12 years of utter pain and devastation in my life. And I, I wasn't even allowed to have a life in that cult. And when I was doing that project, it was really awful. So, but the good side is that once Steve sort of helped me articulate this whole message and he brought his assets and Michelle brought her assets and Jerry brought his assets and the amazing stuff happened. Nobody has to go through it. No, no. Ever why would again? We, why would it's? It, that's kind of like saying to a kid who was beaten their whole life, you know, and then comes out on the other side, and they're like this. There's this awesome person, and it's like, oh, all kids should be beaten. Right. It's it's such a <laughs> no. stupid fucking thing to say. <laughs> it's a dumb thing stupid. to say. Like I see online. Um, you know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Well, that doesn't mean that I want to I purposefully that, put yourself in pain. Yeah, no, no. There, there's you know, what doesn't kill you sometimes traumatizes you to the point of not having a good life and not yeah. being happy. Yeah, and it um, wastes the years that you're sitting in pain. You don't have to have that. No. And and this is important because Michelle's life was all about prior putting herself in pain because yes. she felt that's what she deserved. Yes. 
that that was all I deserved. I deserved, I didn't deserve happiness. I didn't deserve to do things that I liked. I'm, and, and this is with only this, this changed everything, right? So I can remember Mark asking me 2014, 2015, like, like once my kids, my son, my youngest son graduated from high school, he's like, well, what do you like to do? I had, didn't have an answer. I had no answer because all I ever did was work and take care of my children and serve people. That's all I ever did. The things that I did for pleasure were scarce. Yeah. They were scarce. Now, at that point in time, I had gone back to the gym. I was doing some swimming. So I was starting to, to realize that I could take time for myself again and, and not – but even then, if I took the littlest bit of time for myself, I'd be stressed out the whole time. I'd be at the gym and I'd be like, oh, I got to I gotta get home. I got to be doing this, all this stuff. And not anymore. Not anymore. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah. If you're going to take, you know, and it's kind of like these people that people like me, the women I work with, who, you know, their time they're taking for themselves is drinking, right? They go into the garage and they feel guilty and they're, they're, you know, sucking it down because they think there's some kind of magic in this alcohol that's going to take that feeling of I don't deserve better away from them. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you get stuck there, yeah. like ruminating in that place instead of just realizing, wow, this isn't enjoyable. The alcohol is not helping me. And maybe I maybe I can be happier shedding the guilt and realizing that I deserve better. I deserve better in my life and I deserve to, to feel good and go get a massage once in a while and spend that extra 80 bucks or whatever it is. And maybe go get my nails done or whatever it is you like to do. Maybe go to the gym every day and spend an hour, an hour and a half there or whatever it is that you find pleasure in doing. Like I deserve to do that. It took me until I was 50 years old, till I was almost 50 yeah, years old too. to realize that. Me too. Me too. To come, to come to a place of peace has taken me five decades. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, but it was 30 years of abuse. Yes. That I, that I took. Um, now I, I want to say something on a flip side and that is, let's say that um, you've dabbled in AA. And it really hasn't had that big of an effect on you because there's there's people that sort of drift in and out of AA circles and they're, they might listen to this and go, you know, I I didn't see that in AA. I didn't have that experience. And, and there's a lot of you out there like that. Yeah. And good. The, the point is, and it, it, the other thing about that is you may be a person that says to yourself as you're listening to this, well, I am a person that needs some self-improvement. Sure. Right? Okay. All right. Uh, we all did. And do, the, I mean, we that's right. always continue to, to learn and improve, but, but that should be on your terms from inside your autonomous mind. And you say to yourself, who do I want to be? You get to decide that once you get into the realm of some bad therapy or some bad sponsorship or some bad modalities out there that start telling you how you should live, what you can and can't do. Um, then you should really back off that stuff and say, wait a minute, what do I need to be happy? And, you know, look at, I wasn't the most thoughtful person because I had no idea how nobody was thoughtful to me growing up. Mm. So therefore I had no skill set there. Like I was 
really, I could easily nowadays be called a, an intense narcissist, right? A toxic, <laughs> a toxic personality. I have never felt that about you. Though. <laughs> well, never. Well, I've, I've had people say, you know, you're very thoughtless Mark and, and things like that. So, um, so I had to, so I had some work to do. The problem was that where I was trying to do that work was instilling more guilt, more pain, more confusion. Right. And, and it, I felt worse. So please let your heart guide you. If you're in AA and you're feeling worse and you, and you think that you need to feel worse before you can get better, that's fucking bullshit. It's not real. It, you don't need more pain in order to get better. I had that illusion inside of me my whole life based on my really bad teachings in Catholicism from some bad catechism teachers when I was a kid mm -hmm. and then AA. You know, and just pounding me with this awful, awful rhetoric. So, yeah, we all could improve, but you do it on your own time capsule and you do it, you do it on your own, hopefully, slowly gaining in happiness value system. Yes, you're looking to be happier. Yeah. So the direction you're going in. That's, that's your motivation is this. I know this can make me happier. There's another topic in here that maybe we'll talk about next time, which is, yeah, you know, can you, you know, what about those people like David Goggins, when we both read his book, um, who should try to motivate themselves by beating themselves up? Um, doesn't that work for some people? We'll, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, we will. All, All right. right. Thanks everybody. We hope you enjoyed this. Remember if you like our podcast, give us five star rating, especially in Spotify and Apple. We have great ratings there. Yep. And it Share helps, it. it helps us reach more people. Also, you can get our book for free. Go to the link tree or whatever. Freebook.freedommodel.org or, and all of our social media, the link tree is there. It gives you access to our podcasts, our um, free book offer, our online program, our coaching. our coaching program. Yeah, we coach people one on one and we teach them this entire curriculum. Um, you can also now get our workbook. Our workbook. It's so amazing. That, that was never available to the public before. So when you go to get your free book at freebook.freedommodel.org, um, this, a pop-up will show up and you can get this as well. If you want it, you don't have to. Right, right. That's up to you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Take care. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.